As we continue to make our way through the book of Daniel, I invite you to turn with me to Daniel chapter 10. Daniel 10, where we'll begin at verse 1 and read through the first verse of chapter 11. You may have uh, noticed that the uh, visions in the book of Daniel are somewhat uh, repetitive, the latter visions filling out the uh, former ones. Uh, Much of it the same history, but in greater detail. Well, we begin the large closing section of the book of Daniel today that spans all the way from the beginning of chapter 10 through the end of the book, the end of chapter 12. We'll be reading this morning just chapter 10, and in that chapter, what is essentially the preparation for the vision that is to follow. It will take all of this chapter before we get to the vision itself. But that doesn't mean that there isn't plenty for us to learn, even in this, if I may call it, the prelude to the vision. If nothing else, we will certainly learn that spiritual factors are all important in human history. Spiritual warfare, particularly, lies behind what we see with our physical eyes. And we must be strengthened for that war. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we pray that you will open our eyes to see, uh, to perceive things that are imperceivable by our physical eyes. Open the eyes of our hearts that we may see the war in which you have engaged us, that we may engage ourselves in it with confidence. And we pray these things for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Daniel chapter 10. We'll begin at verse 1 and read through the first verse of chapter 11. In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a word was revealed to Daniel, who was named Belteshazzar. And the word was true, and it was a great conflict. And he understood the word and had understanding of the vision. In those days, I, Daniel, was mourning for three weeks. I ate no delicacies, no meat or wine entered my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all for the full three weeks. On the 24th day of the first month, as I was standing on the bank of the great river, that is the Tigris, I lifted my eyes And looked, and behold, a man clothed in linen with a belt of fine gold from Uphaz around his waist. His body was like beryl, his face like the appearance of lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze, and the sound of his words like the sound of a multitude. And I, Daniel, alone saw the vision, for the men who were with me did not see the vision, but a great trembling fell upon them, and they fled to hide themselves. So I was left alone and saw this great vision, and no strength was left in me. My radiant appearance was fearfully changed, and I retained no strength Then I heard the sound of his words, and as I heard the sound of his words, I fell on my face in deep sleep with my face to the ground. And behold, a 
hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. And he said to me, O Daniel, man greatly loved, understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright, for now I have been sent to you. And when he had spoken this word to me, I stood up trembling. Then he said to me, Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before your God, your words have been heard, and I have come because of your words. The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days, but Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I was left there with the kings of Persia and came to make you understand what is to happen to your people in the latter days, for the vision is for days yet to come. When he had spoken to me according to these words, I turned my face toward the ground and was mute. And behold, one in the likeness of the children of man touched my lips. Then I opened my mouth and spoke. I said to him who stood before me, O my Lord, by reason of the vision, pains have come upon me, and I retain no strength. How can my Lord's servant talk with my Lord? For now no strength remains in me, and no breath is left in me. Again, one having the appearance of a man touched me and strengthened me. And he said, O man greatly loved, fear not. Peace be with you. Be strong and of good courage. And as he spoke to me, I was strengthened and said, Let my Lord speak, for you have strengthened me. Then he said, Do you know why I have come to you? But now I will return to fight against the prince of Persia, and when I go out, behold, the prince of Greece will come. But I will tell you, What is inscribed in the book of truth? There is none who contends by my side against these except Michael, your prince. And as for me, in the first year of Darius the Mede, I stood up to confirm uh, and strengthen him. 19th and early 20th century Dutch statesman, journalist and theologian Abraham Kuyper once observed that if once the curtain were pulled back and the spiritual world behind it came to view, it would expose to our spiritual vision a struggle so intense, so convulsive, sweeping everything within its range that the fiercest battle fought on earth would seem, by comparison, a mere game. Well, that's what's happening here in Daniel 10. The curtain is being pulled back. And what Daniel sees knocks the breath out of his lungs turns his legs and arms into spaghetti. 
It's already been a bad couple of years for Daniel as it is. You may have noticed that this word was revealed to Daniel in the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia. Now, those of you who are familiar with your Bible history will immediately recognize what was happening at that time. It was during the first year of Cyrus that a decree was made to send the Jews back to Jerusalem with the intent to rebuild there what Babylon had destroyed. Daniel had seen, no doubt, a wave of his own people leaving and going back home, which would have been hard enough for him already to know that he had been left behind in a land where his name was Belteshazzar, which the narrator points out. Left behind, I say, and would not see his beloved home again during his lifetime. But by this time, word had also reached him from Jerusalem that the work there had hit on hard times. This is a couple of years later than that, of course. It was stalled. The opposition was too much for the people of God in the capital city back home. They had started well, but now the work was stopped and would continue to be held up, as you know, until the prophet Haggai comes and lights a fire under the people of God some 15 years later. To make matters worse... Daniel has seen in the visions provided to him already that the future of his people was not going to be all sunshine and roses. Hardships and difficulties and judgment were to come. Oppression, affliction, suffering swept like waves over the sands of time stretched out before his view, before his mind's eye. It was all a great and terrible burden for Daniel to bear. A burden worse than we, I think, can really grasp, even begin to grasp, to enter into while we read our Bible in one hand with our morning cup of hot chocolate in the other. This was a burden as the, as the prophets were want to refer to these things that they came to know and understand. When the curtain that Abram Kuyper spoke about was pulled back by the angel messenger from the Lord, Daniel lost it. He just lost it. It took the help of the angel. It took, did you count them in the text? It took three touches from this shining one to restore Daniel's legs and his mouth and his strength. He was so burdened by what he was shown, he couldn't even speak. His mouth quit working, just like his legs and arms had done. But you know what? That same thing would happen to us, wouldn't it? It happened to you and to me in the same situation. Were God, were God to pull back the curtain today in this sanctuary right now and show us the spiritual warfare that has been being waged right now in this universe and all around us and even here in this sanctuary, it would take your breath away. You would collapse at the sight of what is raging all around you, right this minute. It would render us struck, awestruck, maybe sickened to see it. 
This glimpse that Daniel receives holds some important lessons for us today, my brothers and sisters. The first one is this. We must understand and know that there are unseen forces at work, at war, behind what we see with our physical eyes. There is a terrible battle taking place all around us. Satan and his minions are doing their level best to wage war on the church, on you and on me. Spiritual warfare is real, and it is taking place all over the face of the globe. And what we can see with our eyes is more often than we realize the earthly counterpart to these heavenly battles. Isn't it interesting that the angel tells Daniel about the prince of Persia against whom he is fighting, and a prince of Greece? Who are these? Are they men? They aren't. These are not men he's talking about. These are spirits assigned to the corresponding earthly empires who are terrorizing and will terrorize God's people. This is not angels versus men. This is angels versus demons. And the visible manifestation of their warfare are kings and princes on the earth. Much more, my brothers and sisters, of what we see happening in Congress and in parliaments is the visible outworking of the invisible forces. Much more than we care to acknowledge. Somehow, for whatever reason it is, leaving the country recently helped me to see this correspondence more clearly. I've naturally been uh, keenly interested lately in studying the revolution that took place on Maidan, at Maidan Square in Kiev, Ukraine, earlier this year. My interest has set me to reading our own MTW, a Mission to the World Missionaries Reports from Ukraine. You can find them posted on their websites and on their blogs. One young man, Joel Swanson, of Chattanooga, one of our missionaries in Kiev, writes on his blog about how um, many of his friends in Kiev were praying as they protested those three months at Maidan in the early part of this year for a change in government from Yanukovych's hopelessly corrupt regime. And then he writes... They saw God's dramatic answer to prayer when Yanukovych fled, abdicating power to the parliament where it belonged, according to Ukraine's constitution. He goes on to write, My pastor in Kiev called that a miracle of prayer. Now where he goes next on his blog will be of keen interest to you in light of our current sermon series. So, he goes on to write, we turned to Daniel 2. Read the miracle of prayer there when God saved Daniel and his friends' lives in answer to prayer and gave the promise that the kingdom of God will grow, 
crushing earthly kingdoms and filling the entire earth. I'm encouraged, he goes on, that this is something God does, not us. The stone representing his kingdom wasn't cut by human hands, but was a work of God's grace. Going back to earlier entries in his blog, I found him reporting that since the beginning of the protests, the prayer tent, where there was a prayer tent set up there in the square in Kiev, in Maidan, the, the prayer tent has been the heart of the protest. Ukrainian Christians have prayed there 24/7 just beside the main stage where the protests organized, the protests organized, and the people found their new voice. Our church in Kiev held frequent prayer meetings. Our elders called us to prayer and fasting. Persistent over 3 months, nonviolent protesters demanded truth. And when the corrupt government fled overnight, Our pastor called it a miracle of prayer, reminding us people prayed for 70 years under the corrupt Soviet Union. Well, it's not difficult for us to imagine the spiritual forces at work in that place, striving with might and main to suppress the church, to stamp out all presence of Christ there. The pastor of that church that hosts the uh, Bible college at which I taught can vividly remember nighttime baptisms after making every effort to make sure that the KGB was not following them. The reason that we here in the United States are so blithely unattuned to the spiritual warfare of which our brothers and sisters are acutely aware is that we are, we are the great exception. We are the great exception in the world and in world history. The church that does not suffer. We don't. The way that she suffers in the rest of the world. When you stand in Independence Square at Maidan today in Kiev, just months later, and look at the bullet holes from the snipers who brutally mowed down protesters there just last winter, who are standing there calling for truth and for justice, It's not hard at all to trace the path of those bullets back past the barrels of those snipers in the buildings around the square to the spiritual world that lies behind those buildings and that great obelisk of Independence Square. The warfare that rages in the spiritual realms in Ukraine for the kingdom's advancement there just 20 or so years after the fall of brutally enforced Soviet atheism. 
Now, of course, great care needs to be taken here when we draw such specific conclusions. But I can't help but remember the resounding praises of God that filled that same square on the Sunday afternoon that I was there last month when thousands of Ukrainian Christians came together in that very same place where just months ago people lay dying in pools of their own blood. I think what I heard that day in that choir was but the physically audible echo of the angels behind the veil who filled my dawn that day with the thunderous sanctus. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. My brothers and sisters, spiritual warfare is real and it is taking place day and night all around us. Don't let Satan lull you as he loves to do. That's his tactic here in the United States. It's not bullets, it's lullabies. Don't let him lull you into believing that he doesn't really exist or that he is no real threat. Now, having said that, neither let yourself be caught up in the error of finding a demon behind every rock or head cold or fever blister or flat tire or crashed hard drive. Remember the warning of C.S. Lewis uh, in screw tape letters that there are two and equally uh, two and equal opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They themselves are equally pleased by both errors and hail a materialist. That's what we in the United States are, materialists who hold that the world is nothing but material, what can be seen, that hail a materialist or a magician with the same delight. The second lesson for us when we realize that there are unseen forces at work and at war behind what we see with our physical eyes, a terrible battle taking place all around us, is to remember who is the victor in this battle, in this war. Now the messenger of David may have been delayed 21 days and has shown up maybe a little bit out of breath from his mortal combat with the spiritual prince of the kingdom of Persia. But then, he says, the angel Michael came to help him to win that battle. Now, the point isn't so much that we trust in Michael, or any other angel for that matter, by any other name. Of course not. Though Michael certainly is a great fighter, isn't he? A great fighter in the spiritual realm who defends all those whose names are in God's book. Israel's prince, Michael, 
is, according to the passage, contending alongside our Lord for the sake of Israel's future and of ours. And we're glad, we're more than glad to have Michael on our side, aren't we? Michael, it is, remember, who contended for Moses' body, according to the book of Jude. The Apostle John tells us in Revelation that Michael is the leader of the heavenly host that will cast Satan out of heaven for his final demise. It's by no mistake, by the way, that at the end of Maidan's uh, Independence Square, that is, in Kiev, stands a great and impressive statue of the archangel Michael, mighty and brandishing a flaming sword in one hand and holding a shield in the other. An army with a general like Michael cannot lose. But the point is, we know whose army is greater because we know who is greater. Whose army will triumph, not so much because of its great generals and archangels like Michael, but because of the king of that army who has already triumphed in this spiritual war. Jesus Christ. King Jesus. And how do we know? Well, because when Christ died on the cross... That was the victory. He's already won. There Satan bruised his heel to be sure, but there Jesus crushed Satan's head. The spiritual warfare is still fierce. Of course it is, as we'll sing together in just a few moments. The fight is fierce, the warfare long. The dangers are still real and there are still plenty of scars for you to win in this spiritual war. But the outcome, my brothers and sisters, is already sure. It's a fait accompli. Which leads me to the third point. Like Daniel, we need strength, don't we, for this war. And as with Daniel, God will send us the help we need when we need it. No war is easy. And this one certainly the least among them. We should not expect to find that our path should be downhill or lined with daisies. Sometimes, my brothers and sisters, in this spiritual war, you will feel like you can't even get off of your hands and knees. Can't lift your head can't even summon a a single word, even for prayer. It's no shame for Christians to find themselves sometimes nearly disabled with grief and paralyzed with fear, overwhelmed and trembling in the fetal position, as it were, This is a real war, after all. Look to God for the strength and for the peace that you need. Some of you will remember the founding president of our own Covenant College and Covenant Seminary, Dr. Robert G. Rayburn. 
Dr. Rayburn served in the Army chaplaincy in World War II and then was recalled from the pastorate to serve in Korea. Though he had already had military experience, his new assignment filled him with fear. Chaplain Rayburn was assigned to a, an army unit of paratroopers. With virtually no training, he was rushed into duty, and Rayburn's first jump was behind enemy lines at night. As the troop plane flew toward the drop site for this very hazardous mission, he noted that men with far more experience began to tremble, began to break out in a cold sweat. He knew that if he fell apart in fright or showed too much terror, that he would not be able to minister to these men. So he began to acknowledge his weakness. He confessed his fear in prayer to God, pleading with God to give him peace so that he would be able to fulfill God's purpose in these men's lives. Dr. Rayburn began his prayer as the prayer began.